Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. It is difficult to imagine a topic more complex, expansive, and important than healthcare reform. How can our healthcare system deliver great quantity and quality care? We will tackle healthcare reform head on in this episode of Sound Practice. There's a lot of ground to cover, so let's begin. Ken Terry is a journalist and author who has covered healthcare for over 25 years. Ken has served as technology editor of Medical Economics Magazine. His latest book is Physician-Led Healthcare Reform, A New Approach to Medicare for All. It was recently published by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Ken also recently had his article, How a Public Option Could Hold Down Costs, posted on the Health Affairs blog. Ken Terry, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you. My pleasure to have you. So so your book, Physician-Led Healthcare Reform, presupposes that the U.S. has adopted Medicare uh, for for all, why did your health affairs blog or article post focus on public option as a vehicle for restructuring healthcare delivery? Well, I'd uh, written a uh, another uh, health affairs uh, blog post with uh, David Mulstein in response to some experts who uh, proposed Medicare Advantage for all instead of Medicare for all, and uh, one. Um, Expert even suggested that perhaps Medicare Advantage plans could compete within a public option. So that got me thinking, uh, and, and I thought, well, what if the government uh, were to uh, create a model in which independent physician groups competed within a public option? And uh, you know, I, I realized that you know we we have to find a way to get from where we are now to a, a truly value-based payment system. Um, and although I don't. Uh, haven't done any computer modeling. Um, I, I believe that the incentives that I, I propose in my article uh, could achieve that. Uh, and and it, it could do it within a mixed public-private system, which means we wouldn't have to wait for Medicare for all. Interesting. Now, you've, you've proposed that there be financial risk assumed by, by providers. Why, why must providers be placed at financial risk in order to reduce healthcare costs? It's human nature. Um, if, if you get paid more for doing more, uh, chances are that you're, you're probably going to do more in many cases uh, um, if, if the patient isn't in any harm and, and might even benefit. Um, and, uh, you know, some experts, uh, you know, believe that the best way to reduce waste and cut costs is uh, to prepay pr- providers. And, uh, the uh, California Delegated Risk Model and Kaiser Permanente have shown that that approach can work under the right circumstances, but the California model has never really uh, caught on outside of California. So you have physicians at the at the lead of of your your idea, and not healthcare uh, systems or or hospitals. Uh, why why do you why do you think that? Is, is the case, or why do you believe that healthcare systems and hospitals are not able to lead the way on uh, healthcare containment cost? 
Well, hospitals and health systems have been uh, resistant to prospective payment uh, because it runs counter to their business model. Uh, hospitals try to maximize inpatient admissions and outpatient services, including expensive uh, tests and procedures. Uh, they also uh, seek to wring as much money as possible out of private payers, partly by uh, merging together to uh, increase their negotiating leverage. You know, while uh, hospitals employ hundreds of thousands of doctors, uh, their main goal is to guarantee referrals, not to prevent admissions. Um, and they can also earn more if they uh, charge facility fees for their outpatient services, although it looks like CMS will finally be able to enforce its uh, site-neutral payment rule. So in essence, um, um, providing value to payers is not on the radar of most hospitals. No disagreement here from me, uh, Ken. So m most physicians also seem resistant, though, to prepayment and still cling to a fee-for-service model. How could a public option be used to, to change that? Well, if the government negotiated uh, payments with providers in a public plan, uh, chances are um, they wouldn't be too much uh, higher than Medicare rates. So uh, doctors would, would get lower payments uh, for a, a big chunk of their business unless they uh, joined one of the uh, at-risk competing groups that I talk about in my article. Um, if they did that, they could share in the savings that they generate. It would, it would be similar to um, what accountable care organizations do in the Medicare shared savings program, but on a much larger scale. Now, many doctors would, would still oppose uh, this approach because they're used to fee-for-service and, and um, they're uncertain about how well they would do um, if they were uh, you know, prepaid. Um, but if it was presented to them as a fait accompli, uh, my guess is that some of the more entrepreneurial doctors would step up to the plate and uh, form you know, the kinds of groups and ACOs they would need in order to uh, garner bonuses in the public plan. So what are the political prospects for a public option along the lines of President Biden's, uh, what he proposed during the election campaign? Well, it's, um, it's uncertain, but it's not out of the question. Um, uh, although uh, President Biden uh, hasn't done too much on health care so far, except to expand certain aspects of the Affordable Care Act, uh, he might uh, campaign for a public option if Democrats could increase their majorities in Congress. And he'll certainly uh, continue uh, to get pressure from the left wing of his party. Uh, and uh, if, if health costs go up sharply, it might force his hand. Again, there's a question that that disturbs me. Is healthcare just too complex for legislatures? I mean, with so many moving parts and such diamondism, uh, it, it hardly seems to be a good match for perpetually campaigning politicians in the era of a soundbite. Tell me I'm wrong. Give me some hope. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, the late Uwe Reinhardt, uh, who taught at Princeton, used to say that. Um, uh, healthcare reform is always around uh, the corner, just not in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> just not the next corner. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I do think that um, I, I, what I believe, uh, it, you know, at the core of me, otherwise I, I wouldn't be interested in healthcare reform, is that someday 
uh, you know, there will be significant reform uh, because, you know, there has been in other countries. Uh, you know, we're, the United States is an outlier in terms of our inability uh, to uh, provide uh, universal access to healthcare and, and the high costs that we pay. And I think at some point, uh, you know, the cost pressures will, will get so high, not only on employers, but also on uh, employees and, and individuals, that the public will cry out, something has to be done now. And at that point, I think that, um, you know, um, hopefully politicians will turn to the best ideas out there and uh, come up with a solution that will actually work. That gives me some hope, thanks. So in your post, you say that competition among financially at-risk physician groups is essential to reducing costs without cutting corners on care. Uh, why would that work better than competition among health insurers? Well, competition should be between um, uh, providers uh, rather than insurers for two reasons. Uh, first of all, when physician groups are, are at risk, uh, they, they can't just pass on cost increases to payers, as insurance companies often do. Um, secondly, um, no insurer has ever delivered care to a single patient. Uh, only physicians know how to cut waste uh, without harming patient care. And uh, I, I believe that if uh, physician groups compete on quality and costs, they're more likely uh, than private insurers to uh, cut costs judiciously because they're accountable to their patients at the end of the day. Well, that's a good good point. How could consumers or, or patients be motivated to choose the highest quality, lowest cost groups? And what effect would that um, consumer choice have? Well, the simplest method um, is to vary a consumer's insurance premium depending on their choice of a primary care physician. Um, if they chose a doctor in a a lower cost, high quality group, uh, they would pay a lower premium than if they chose a doctor in, in a high cost, low quality group. And an experiment in Minneapolis a generation ago established that uh, this approach would um, induce uh, consumers to uh, choose the, uh, the higher uh, quality, lower cost groups. Based on the number in your, your article, healthcare costs, uh, growth could not even be reduced to the rate of general inflation unless most doctors participated in the public option uh, care delivery system. But nearly half of physicians currently work for hospital systems uh, that would be reluctant at best to, to participate. Now, in your book, you solve the problem by requiring hospitals to divest their employed uh, practices. How would you overcome the same challenge within the public option approach? Well, let's assume um, that a, uh, a public plan can offer lower insurance rates to employers and individuals because it pays providers less and it incentivizes them uh, to improve outcomes and, and reduce costs. Well, if that happens, more and more employers are likely to um, uh, give their employees a sum of money and tell them to enroll in the public plan. Uh, most of these people are going to be cared for by the competing at-risk groups. Um, and uh, so as, as those groups take market share away from the hospital-employed groups, the hospitals would be compelled 
to let their doctors participate in the prospective payment system. I follow. That makes sense. What are some of the precedents to your approach and which do you think could contribute to its success? Well, the most recent uh, precedent is the uh, CMS direct contracting program, uh, but it's too early to tell how that program will turn out. Uh, going back further, there's the uh, California delegated risk model that I referenced earlier, and that has uh, you know, a number of features that uh, would help my model succeed. Um, these include delegation of utilization management and uh, credentialing to at-risk groups, as well as the availability of claims data that would help them manage that risk. Um, in addition, uh, the uh, group report cards used in California would work well in the uh, public option marketplaces. Um, the third uh, precedent uh, is the uh, MSSP, the Medicare Shared Savings Program. Uh, and as in that program, uh, the groups in my model uh, would take two-sided risk for a portion of the total cost of care and would share in the savings. Um, I would capitate uh, primary care, but um, I don't think these groups should take full professional or global risk because that would just be too much risk. Now, um, over the past decade, uh, the MSSP has saved Medicare only about $2.5 billion. But until the last couple of years, only a small portion of ACOs took downside risk, and many ACOs have only dabbled in the program. Um, I believe that in a public plan, uh, as I describe it, if ACOs and groups took downside risk from the outset and they had sufficient incentives, they could save a lot of money for the government. In effect, you're proposing a system of managed competition in which the government sets the rules. Give us some perspective. What kind of rules would be required in order to make the mechanisms work properly? Well, in order to get large-scale uh, participation, uh, a wide range of groups, IPAs, and ACOs uh, would have to uh, be allowed to participate. Um, all groups would need a, you know, a certain number of uh, primary care doctors. Uh, and because specialties are unevenly distributed, uh, the groups uh, would, have to be, would have to allow uh, other groups to refer patients to their specialists at in-house rates. The groups would have to be um, big enough to take significant risk, but not so big that they would swamp the competition. Uh, they could be owned by any type of entity, whether it was uh, physicians, hospitals, insurers, um, investment firms, or, or even uh, pharmaceutical chains. The uh, physician-owned groups would probably need uh, some government subsidies uh, at first, and uh, they could also um, contract uh, with the um, same kinds of infrastructure firms that support many ACOs and that take a portion of their shared savings and payment. So we've been talking about physicians and healthcare systems, but clearly insurance companies will fight any kind of public option tooth and nail, Ken, because they view it as unfair competition with the government. Uh, with, when the government can obtain better rates from providers than, than they can. Let's assume that Congress passes a public option bill. What might happen to private insurance in the long run? That's a good question. Um, if things go as I predict, 
uh, private insurers would have a decreasing share of the employer market. Um, but they would continue to serve Medicare and Medicaid, uh, where they've shown an ability to manage care pretty well within a budget. Uh, this might produce the strange situation in which uh, private insurance companies would get most of their income from public programs, while the public plan would take over the private market. Um, in the long run, though, I think that the, the public plan uh, would become dominant because it would be more efficient. Uh, so private insurance might fade out. But on the other hand, uh, if insurers keep buying up physician groups, they might own a good chunk of the delivery system by that time. Now, physicians are only part of the equation, right? Even though physicians provide or order most patient care, they don't control all components of healthcare cost growth. Drug prices come to mind, right? Drug prices are determined largely by pharma companies, for instance, and social determinants of, of health and have an outsized role in population health. In brief, what are your ideas for cutting costs in these arenas? Well, um, I don't think you can reduce uh, drug prices by FIAT uh, because the industry is, is simply too powerful. Um, but we, we could uh, devise a system of value-based pricing so that the prices of new drugs uh, would be limited uh, by the value they provide to, in healthcare rather than what the market will bear. Um, pharma companies would certainly howl about this, but we have to set some limits. Um, in terms of social determinants of health, um, you know, the main question is how much is society willing to pay to improve the health of the poor? Uh, to judge by um, the uh, eligibility uh, uh, restrictions on, in, in, in the Medicaid programs of many states, it appears, you know, we may not be willing to pay that much. Uh, on the other hand, uh, hospitals and health systems could certainly earmark a, a larger percentage of their community benefit dollars to help uh, the poor find adequate food and housing. And uh, community-based uh, approach to uh, managing high-risk patients could improve outcomes and reduce costs. Now, a lot of this is being done already, uh, but I think it could be done more intelligently and consistently. And I think that um, prepayment of providers uh, might ignite the spark to get it done. Do you think that um, there is any change that needs to be made to medical school curricula that would help providers feel more comfortable in the long run with what you're suggesting? Well, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, you know, one is that, um, and, and this has been a longstanding criticism of medical schools, is they don't really give uh, doctors any business education at all, um, which was probably more important in past years when most doctors ran their own businesses than it is now when, you know, most of them are employed. Um, but, you know, what I'm talking about is a, a reversion, you know, more to that earlier state, except with larger groups, uh, but, you know, with physicians in control of their own destinies. So it would certainly help if, if they had some business education. Um, and, and then uh, there's another uh, uh, type of um, uh, a course called systems thinking that some... Um, um, medical societies and, uh, and boards have, have advocated. Uh, and I, th I think it was actually a part of the, uh, the recertification criteria, at least in internal medicine, uh, 
And, and there the idea is to, to try to understand how uh, the decisions that doctors make, um, you know, are affected by and affect the way that healthcare systems operate. But, you know, the problem there is I think that uh, that was conceived within the frame of, you know, large healthcare systems. Um, you know, the doctors actually have very little uh, control over. Um, in fact, you know, I, I've been, um, you know, sort of uh, monitoring or, or uh, auditing the, um, the um, physician leader forum of the uh, AAPL. And, uh, you know, one recent thread talked about how doctors really have very little control over their health systems. It's rare if, if any doctors are on, uh, you know, uh, hospital boards. And if they are, uh, they, they usually don't have much influence. So I don't think you can look at, uh, you know, medical education in, in a vacuum. You know, a lot of it depends on, you know, which way the healthcare system goes. But I think that, uh, you know, medical schools could be more proactive in terms of preparing physicians for the future. Well, certainly your vision of a physician-led uh, healthcare reform is one that deserves much thought. book, which we will put a link to in the show notes, is a physician uh, led healthcare uh, reform. And I thank you very much for your thoughtfulness uh, today and working on problems that are important to all of us, not only those that are listening, because we're all going to be patients, so uh, certainly important to, to our nation. Ken Terry has been my guest on Sound Practice. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you, and, and thanks for the great questions. I appreciate it. My thanks to Ken Terry for his time and thoughtful analysis of healthcare reform. Whether you agree with Ken Carey or not, everyone can agree upon the need for reform. I hope you found the ideas useful. My thanks to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making sound practice possible. Please join me next time for another new episode of Sound Practice. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Well,